celebrating success, learning from legends, and growing poppies. This is Tall Poppy Talk with Grace Lewis. Kia ora and welcome to Tall Poppy Talk. Today we have Mark Beal. He's a marketer, professor, author, keynote speaker, and is considered one of the leading experts on Generation Z, aka Gen Z. He's authoring books, writing columns for major media outlets, delivering keynotes at Fortune 100 corporations, and more. Mark has worked with some of the world's leading consumer brands, supporting their sponsorships of major sports, entertainment, and lifestyle platforms. With more than 25 years at Taylor, having client partners, including, but not limited to, Coca-Cola, Capital One, Taco Bell, Nestle, Pfizer, he has built an award-winning strategic and creative PR campaigns centered around major events such as the Olympic Games, Super Bowl, World Series, US Open, New York Marathon, NASCAR, and the Rolling Stones, all incredible stuff. Mark is often known as Professor Beale at Rutgers University's School of Communication and Information, teaching both undergrad and graduate courses in PR and marketing. He has a podcast and he's authored six books, which we will dive into shortly. Further, he's a personal inspiration and mentor who has guided me through my academic and personal career. It is a pleasure to welcome Mark Beale to Tall Poppy Talk. Where and how are you today? Grace, thank you so much. That was a that was a great introduction. I don't know if I have anything else to add after that. So I am uh, I am in New Jersey today. Uh, I don't have any courses to teach today. So today's my my catch up day where I catch up on all loose ends and grading assignments and conducting media interviews and, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. Awesome. And you can take credit for a lot of that intro because what is brilliant about someone like yourself who is a marketer, personal brand, that was easy to find. And that's something I can learn a lot from you. It was very easy to dive into everything you've been involved in. And it makes it super easy for me as a as a host to dive into questions. So thank you for the good intro. Oh, you're welcome. I mean, for you know, almost 30 years, as you mentioned, my focus was the agency and my clients. So that was always the focus and I was always behind the scenes. And then as I started transitioning from agency world to teaching at Rutgers University and, and writing books, uh, you know, my brand started to get out there more with, again, as you said, columns I wrote or media I was interviewed by or the books that I published. And speaking of books that you've published, first and foremost, I want to dive into your expertise on Gen Z. So you've recently published ZEO, Introducing Gen Z, The Next Generations of Leaders. And one quote I particularly liked was from you, obviously, Generation Z is the purpose generation. They're also America's most diverse generation. With the coronavirus pandemic occurring during their most formative years, I identified Gen Z as the next greatest generation. And you refer to resilience, perseverance, and innovation. What motivated you to commit to researching, writing, and becoming an expert on Gen Z? Yeah, I um, I tell the story often, you know. So when I was on the agency side, 2005, 2010, 2015, when we were... Um, invited by companies of all sizes to participate in what they call RFPs, requests for proposals, asking us to create campaigns. The focus for those years were millennials. It was always about how do you engage millennials? How do we, how do we uh, you know, um, speak to millennials? How do we communicate with millennials? And so that was really the case for, again, throughout those 2000, up until about 2020. And in 2017, 
I'd finished teaching a course at Rutgers. I was driving back to my office and I had what I call a light bulb moment. And I have these often every day I have them. They're, they're moments of inspiration. And this moment was simply millennials have been the focus. Gen Z will become the focus in 2022, 23, 24, 25, uh, and, and for, the, for several years after. And so that was the moment. And it was just that moment. And then starting the next day, every morning I get up at 5, 6.30 in the morning, and I just Google any articles, studies, reports, surveys on Generation Z, and I kind of file all those uh, so that I can, you know, refer to them later, whether writing a book, writing an article, in a presentation. And so that began in 2017. So we're now six plus years into that journey. And still today, you know, I, every day I start by just searching anything that's been written about Gen Z. So real quick example, and I tweeted this out last Thursday or Friday. Nike recently just had their latest earnings report and the CEO said, you know, it's this generation Gen Z that we need to now focus on and that we're going to be putting a lot more effort uh, and investment again. And so they're just one of many companies worldwide that have shifted the focus from millennials to Gen Z. And Gen Z will be the focus, I would say, for the next probably 15 years until Gen Alpha ages enough that they become the focus. So as I tell my Gen Zers all the time, you guys are it right now. You're the priority consumer for most brands. Uh, take advantage of that. I say, I tell them you've got a superpower right now. People want to understand what makes you tick, what you're all about. So use that to your advantage, especially as you go out and interview for jobs. Who qualifies as Gen Z? I know that's often a Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Question. And it's always one of my first slides in my presentation. So, you know, Pew Research Center based here in the United States at 1997 as the first birth year for Gen Z. So I use 1997 to 2012. So your Gen Zers again in this year, uh, the oldest are turning 26. They are two, three, four years into their careers, but you still have the majority are in college, high school, and you know middle school, elementary school, right on down to 11 year olds. So there's still many years of Gen Zers going through school, going to university, graduating from university. In fact, for the next 10 years or so, you'll have generations, you know, excuse me, groups of Gen Z graduating from college and joining the workforce. So we are really just at the beginning. Um, we still have many years to go for Gen Z to age, graduate, start careers, and making decisions about the companies they're going to join as employees and the brands they're going to support as um, customers of those brands. Absolutely. I'm 24. So I'm at the, I, I'm, I'm in there. I'm not, I'm, yes. but it's funny because I think about 11, 12 year olds, their experience is going to be so different from mine. Like TikTok, I, that's all I need to say. <laughs> TikTok <laughs> will change and shape the way you go through high school, college, everything. So even within the generation, there's going to be a lot of like sub generations almost. There is. It's funny you bring that up. So I get invited often to high schools by the principals of high schools to speak to their current students. And I don't deliver a presentation about Gen Z because they are Gen Zers, but I deliver a presentation about um, pursuing your passions, dreaming big, achieving anything, you know, anything is possible. But I do use the opportunity, at least on my first slide, to do a little icebreaker exercise. And the exercise is I put logos of TikTok, Instagram, Snapchat, and a few others on there. And I just say for the next year, you can only have one of these social media platforms. And so when you go into a high school, and if there's a room of 100 high schoolers, 98 will choose Snapchat. One might say TikTok, one might say Instagram. That changes significantly when you get to college and all of a sudden there's this shift more to TikTok and Instagram. So it's interesting. So to your point, there's 
there's changes within the generation. Um, but I think what captures this generation is a quote that I wish I came up with, but I didn't, but it was the CMO of MTV who a few years ago said, Generation Z is the first generation that learned to swipe before they wipe. And the point is they've had technology in their hands since the age of one, two, or three. And as you said, as you um, get younger, so oldest, as you said, Gen Zers like you, 24, 25, 26, but 11, 12, 13, they're even more advanced when it comes to technology. They're even more savvy when it comes to digital. They embrace technology uh, even more than the oldest members of Gen Z. So you're absolutely right. They will, uh, the advancements will move quickly and it'll be interesting when we get to kind of the younger Gen Zers where they are when they are, let's say your age, right? Just getting out of college, a year or two out of college and where they are. Incredible, yeah. It'll be interesting and we just have to wait and see, I guess, what is going to evolve. I even think like, what's the next uh, app, right? Like TikTok yes. and Instagram. Yeah. I'm like, there's no room for anything else, surely, but there will be something. Well, well, I don't know if you jumped on this or not, but you know, Be Real a year ago yep. gained traction. It did gain traction. It was, um, you know, a year ago, you know, basically a year ago, last spring into the summer gained traction. And now it's starting to kind of fizzle. I think it reached its tipping point. There's a couple of factors. We won't go too deep into it. But what was interesting about Be Real was the idea of something that generation Gen Z prioritizes, being real, being authentic, being genuine, as opposed to, let's say, Instagram, where, you know, it's the perfect photo, the perfect image, the perfect content. So as you say, who knows what that next platform is that's going to actually have stickiness and stay and sustain, because uh, it seems like we've got enough. But you're right, there will be something a year or two or three or four or five from now. I just read an article yesterday, and it's the second or third time I've read it, but individuals like Serena Williams, and I think Tom Brady, and maybe LeBron James, don't hold me to that, have invested in, in, in a uh, emerging platform specifically for younger members of Gen Z. And so again, as I read things like that, I kind of read it, put it off to the side, and just keep it top of mind, because you know where will that be in three, six, nine, 12 months from now? Only time will tell. It's evolving at a pace that it's, I like the idea of you said of waking up, checking it, like maybe people don't want to do that daily, but keeping a tab on something and noting like, okay, this is going to evolve. I want to get into the idea of the purpose generation. So you've called sure. Gen Z the purpose generation. And um, it's a really cool TEDx speech, a video I watched of you where you said that Gen Z will be bring transformational chaos to the world in the next 10 to 15 years and you reference three kind of main areas would you be able to dive in and explain what you mean by transformational chaos absolutely and i think we're seeing that now so that speech if my date is correct was december 2018 so it's great to see where we are because as you said i said over the next decade so we're basically five years from that speech pretty sure it was 2018 i think so maybe 2019 but either way we're several years since that speech was made and as i look back at that i say wow it's happening so couple of areas. One, um, and I'll look at, like I said, a few different areas. One in, from the employer standpoint, the workplace standpoint. Um, now, the pandemic has expedited things that I thought Gen Z would bring in, but uh, I still give Gen Z credit for quite a bit. So this whole idea of, you know, not going to a physical workplace five days a week. I mean, in 2018, if I'd said that, you would have said, this guy's crazy, right? But now in today's world, it's pretty standard, pretty normal that you know, maybe you only go in one or two days a week, if that. There's a lot of people who only you know work remotely full time. 
Um, I mean, so that's just one piece of that. Uh, eventually, I think Gen Z will usher in the four-day work week, which we're starting to see a little bit of, a little bit. And I think this idea or this concept of WFA work from anywhere, again, I think Gen Z will bring that to uh, more, we'll see more examples of that. We're not seeing that quite now, but we are seeing, again, a lot of folks who work five days remotely. The second biggest piece though, I think in the workplace that I think is bringing transformation, transformational chaos, is I really do credit Gen Z with opening the conversation around mental health. Uh, mental health for many, many, many years has been a taboo topic. Don't talk about it, don't bring it up, right? But I think a combination of folks like uh, Simone Biles, Naomi Osaka, Michael Phelps, uh, Selena Gomez, celebrities, athletes, right? Who talk about it openly, who've made it a part of a, a, an open discussion, complement that with Gen Z's focus and prioritization of men's mental health. And now all of a sudden we're getting things that we hadn't two, three, four years ago hadn't seen, but companies now offering mental health days as a benefit to employees. So when I had some of my graduates or students graduate in 2022, several of them came back to me and they were most excited, not by the salary, most excited by, hey, my company's offering me mental health days, whether monthly or quarterly or whatever it might be. And even this past fall on World Mental Health Day, first time that I can recall, companies both large, global, and small shut down for the day and told employees to, again, take the day off, recharge. Now, that's not going to, that's not going to, like, be a cure-all for mental health, but at least it's adding to a discussion that didn't exist before 2020. You know, maybe in the old days you called it PTO days or sick days, but now at least there's this focus on mental health. And so I think Gen Z is ushering in that transformation around the conversation around mental health. And I think, again, five, six, seven, ten years from now, I think we'll look back and say it was Gen Z who um, made this a public dis a conversation, a very important public conversation. And we even see some brands now that are starting to make mental health part of campaigns and things. So that's your know, workplace from a marketing perspective. There's so many different ways. Um, but I think as we talked about earlier, a lot of that is the shift from traditional media to social media and digital media. So, you know, Gen Z, and hopefully you'll agree with me, but uh, you know, Gen Z's for the most part are not tuning into network television. They're not tuning into cable television. They're not picking up this thing that we call a newspaper, right? Okay. But they are consuming lots of content, lots of information on channels that haven't been around for that long. So I talk about the big three, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Well, it's not like they've been around for 30, 40, 50 years. They've only been around for, you know, in TikTok's case, less than, less than 10. Um, and so now marketers, maybe not back in 2018 when I delivered that speech, but now realize we need to really focus on these channels we need to start, you know, maybe moving a little bit away from traditional media, and we really need to start focusing. So I think Gen Z is driving that transformation of, we'll call it marketing and media. Um, and of course, there's a number of other areas, but that's what I meant by that, is that we're going to have this transformation, which Gen Z is going to usher in. And as I mentioned, I really do think, you know, and I wrote an article on this for the Newark Star-Ledger uh, in New Jersey, I really do think that the pandemic ushered in immediate change in things that I thought Gen Z was going to bring. So you know, the immediate change to remote work. I really thought over the decade or so Gen Z would start to usher that in, but the pandemic just brought it sooner, right? So even things like that that we're experiencing now, like I don't think we'd have as many people today in 2023 working remotely or hybrid if the pandemic did not happen. But I do think Gen Z would have been influencing more remote work and hybrid work 
um, if the pandemic did not happen. And, and over the course of that decade or more, we would have seen a shift, but it happened uh, immediately because of the pandemic. Yeah, and I totally agree. In terms of like Gen Z, and maybe I can speak for myself or my friends, this understanding of we're not going to go into the office eight till six or eight till seven, nine to five even, and we're going to work remote and there's more of a pushback, whereas I think the generation above accepted it. And even that's the conversation with mental health is Gen Z seems almost hell bent on having it, which is very important. And I think it's not just Gen Z alone. It's a combination like the generations above and above are like, yeah, actually that was pretty rough what we went through. And that's why there's a lot of support around it, but it's sparked from Gen Z. Completely agree. And I just want to touch on a couple of things because you hit on something, uh, some really good points there. And I, I do like to say these things. So when I talk about the workplace and generations, and I can say this because I'm an old Gen Xer, um, but what I like to say about Gen Xers and boomers is we lived to work. And I know that sounds strange and I'm almost embarrassed to say it, but we actually lived to go to work five, maybe six, seven days a week. Like we thrived on it. Gen Z works to live. They work to go enjoy life, to travel, to explore, to adventure. Work has a purpose, but it's not about being physically at work five, six, seven days a week. It's about I'm working so that I can actually go out and enjoy this thing we call life. So I, I it's a nuance. I love that. I, I didn't come up with that, but it's just something I, I keep reinforcing. And the second part of that is, again, embarrassed maybe to say it, but you know, our generation, I think, worked harder, not smarter. And Gen Z works smarter, not harder. And so what I mean by that is Gen Z has an incredible entrepreneurial spirit and they can figure out ways to be more efficient in getting the task, the, the, the challenge, whatever it is, completed successfully. Um, and that doesn't mean, well, I have to sit here for 10 hours here to get it done. If I can get it done in an hour, I can get it done in an hour. But that's using technology, that's using content, that's using, you know, I'm making this up, you know, chat GPT and AI. But if that helps get the, the job done again, not just quickly, that's not the point, but efficiently, effectively, successfully, uh, I, I always look at Gen Z and say, you know, they're working smarter, not harder. They're leveraging all their resources, all the tools, all their knowledge, and they're, they're accomplishing tasks and assignments in a smarter way, not simply just, I need to put lots and lots of hours in to get this done. Yeah, there's also more resources. Like if I need to figure out something on Excel, I'll Google YouTube it and I, I figure it out in 40 seconds. Also, right. there's platforms like um, in the US, Fiverr and Upwork. So if I want a graphic done, there's such saturation and skill and talent and accessibility that I can just contract someone out like you would in a more formal one. I can use Fiverr, send a brief, and next thing within 24 hours, I have a graphic. I mean, that's how my podcast graphic was made from Fiverr and then suddenly I go oh hold on there's this thing called Adobe Express which has templates and all these things so there's so much we can access and I think to your point about working smarter not harder Gen Z seems to be more apt to not ask why it works that way just know that it works that way and get on with it whereas generations above older generations want to know why it works I think we've accepted it's moving too fast and we just work with it. We don't ask why. Yeah, I, I would agree. Uh, two things there. One is absolutely, it's a mindset. And Gen Z has that correct mindset or that right mindset of 
there's a solution out there. There's somebody out there. There's a source. There's a DIY video. There's a how-to. Let's just go there. Well, there's not there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that's being more efficient with your time, right? As opposed to spending hours and hours and hours and then saying, oh, you know what? There's probably some source somewhere we can go to, right? You already know, though, there is a source somewhere in this world. That source could be completely around the world in New Zealand, but that's fine. I can have access to that source, which maybe 20 or 30 years ago, we didn't have access or that source didn't even exist because the world was different. Um, so I completely agree with you on that. And it goes back to this idea that we've kind of talked about, but Gen Z really values their time and the efficient use of their time. And so everything you just brought up, if there's a way to identify the solution or partner with a source or collaborate with someone that's going to help us use our time wisely, um, we're gonna do that because again, we value our time so much, right? It's not about how many hours I'm sitting here working. It's about the what I'm doing and the time I am spending with the hope that I can also then go out and actually have some work-life balance, actually go out and enjoy the other aspects of my life. And then I talk about Gen Z all the time. I say, they are not one-dimensional. They are multi-dimensional. And you're a great example of this, Grace, because, you know, yes, they have a full-time job. Two, they have a passion. So whether that's a podcast or something else. Three, they might have a side hustle. And then let alone social life, family and other things they're doing and you know even things in the community charities and all that they are so multi-dimensional that it's um to me it's inspiring i love to see it it's not just i am just you know i am just an accountant no gen zer is just an accountant or just a marketer or just a teacher they are so many more things than that well thank you um <laughs> i agree there's there is almost sometimes this pressure i feel like not pressure there is so much you could be doing because you see that through social media platforms definitely of, hey, you can do multiple, multiple things that it can be overwhelming. But if you can learn to channel that, it's like, actually, no, this is brilliant. Like, I'm very excited that there's technology around that. I have this passion. I want to have conversations around, you know, people, tall poppies is what we call them in New Zealand. And okay, I can have a platform and I have an RSS feed and suddenly through this project, I'm becoming semi-expert on how to produce a podcast and I didn't formally study it if you want to pursue it it's there so I get what you mean it's really exciting I and I love that you brought that because I was going to bring that up as an example exactly what you're doing here is and at first it might seem too big a mountain to climb like how am I going to do that but again the Gen Z mindset is no there's solutions there's answers there's folks there's people who help me there's platforms that will help me there's technology that will help me so it's it's instead of looking at it and saying, I can't even pursue that. I've got too much going on or I've got a full-time job. Instead, it's no, there's there's ways to do it. And I, I am going to pursue this passion. I am going to do it. And I always tell employers this. And I've had examples of former students who've told me that they've worked for companies that really um, transparently and openly push them to pursue their passions because ultimately that makes the employee more excited to work at that company because this company is saying, hey, you know, do do your great work here. But when you're not here, pursue that passion, whether that's as a podcast host, a singer, a musician, uh, a traveler, whatever it might be, because that starts to give you that more that balance of I'm not just a employee. I'm not just a worker. I am so much more than that. And this particular company allows me to pursue those passions and interests. And you bring that all back to the company, too all yeah. of those yeah. diverse thoughts, passions, you're going to bring that. And to your point, when you're in work, you're going to be engaged and 
excited to be there because yeah. <laughs> you enjoy it. That does make me pivot to 25 years plus you've spent in this high-paced public relations industry. I know from being your student, you have some pretty cool stories. You were immersed in, in it all and you're still immersed in a more tech-driven, entrepreneurial, community-minded space where the Gen Z are thriving. With such remarkable experience, I just wanted to ask about during your time working on leading brands and award-winning campaigns, what were your favorites and why? Oh, I, I, I always get this question. It's such a tricky one because, again, I probably spent just yeah 30 years, exactly 30 years on the agency side. And so with that, you're working across many, many different clients, many brands. And as you mentioned earlier, I was fortunate that a lot of those campaigns centered around things like the Olympic Games, you know, uh, World Cup soccer, the Super Bowl, the Rolling Stones. And so that's kind of fun, too. And all of a sudden, you're not just working on a campaign, but it revolves around a passion point. So, you know, like you, I mean, I had a great interest in sports when I was in, in at Rutgers University, sports and media. And then it became sports and marketing once I got a taste of public relations. And so I would say, you know, purely from a high profile standpoint, you know, getting the opportunity at a very young age in 1992 to be on site in Albertville, Barcelona at the Olympic Games representing a brand like Clairol was, for me, was kind of my first major stage to be on, you know, working with a leading brand on a global property, global platform like the Olympic Games. Uh, that was tremendous and incredible. And I think I had to pinch myself a few times, even leading up saying, am I really going, you know, am I really going over there and doing this? And sure enough, it did. Uh, and then having the chance to work on other Olympic campaigns throughout the years, um, you know, being at the Super Bowl in 2005 and handling the PR and media around Paul McCartney's halftime show, which uh, was sponsored by my client, AmeriQuest Mortgage Company. So before Pepsi became a 10-year sponsor of that show, AmeriQuest was the sponsor for, I think, one or two years. Um, but as their agency and as as uh, the individual leading the account team on that, you know, I was immersed in the Super Bowl halftime show, Paul McCartney and things like that. And then it was that same client who I think it was only a year later, might've been even that same year, called me up and said, hey, by the way, we are gonna become the sponsor of the bigger, the Rolling Stones Bigger Bang Tour, um, which went over the course of say a year and a half. And so again, working on something like that, helping the brand amplify their sponsorship. And I'll just tell a quick story on this one. Uh, so we kicked that off on a beautiful weekday in New York. It was like July, you know, 80 degrees, perfect. We're in Midtown, somewhere in the 60s or 70s. Can't remember where we were specifically. Um, and the way we kind of introduced and unveiled the, the sponsors uh, sponsorship of the Stones, we had the Stones step out on a rooftop and they played either four or five songs at lunchtime in New York City. So media, of course, were invited. So we had lots of media, but the average person walking down the street had no idea that all of a sudden the Rolling Stones were just stepping out on the rooftop. And uh, so it was a great, you know, I don't know, 30 plus minute concert that they did. And that's how we kicked off the tour. So those things are fun because they're so high profile, you know, working with athletes and, and others is so high profile. So all of that was fun. But ultimately, I think, and this is across many, many brands and many campaigns, it was always just trying to, you know, I enjoyed with the team going out, doing the research that then informed the campaign, whatever the campaign may be, and then really enjoyed 
for lack of a better word, presenting and selling it into the brand. And that became really competitive when it was a, an RFP situation. So whether it was going to a, a Coca-Cola or another brand, and you had to compete with five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten other agencies, uh, and only one comes out as the winner. And so, you know, I got the opportunity to do that for 20 plus years. And so there was always a real um, uh, energizing feeling when you had about, you typically only get about three weeks to go through that process from the moment you're invited to the moment you present. And so three weeks of just immersing yourself in a brand, researching a brand, ideating, coming up with, for lack of a better word, the big idea, and then going in front of an audience and presenting it. And then, you know, finding out that, you know, your agency was the best and you won. I mean, that, that was always such a great experience throughout the course of, again, 20, 25 years. That too. I mean, the good ones would be great, like when you get it, but also fully immersing yourself and not being successful. Oh, yeah. That must have been tough too, but that's part of. Oh, yeah. Game. And then the one thing I always say, you know, so when you go through these RFP processes, and again, it varies how many agencies they ultimately invite, but typically it's between five and 10 or maybe more. If you don't win, you the call typically comes in is, um, guys, we loved you, great presentation, but you know, it was a close decision. You, you finished a close second. Well, second in that case is last. It doesn't matter whether you're second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth. But the biggest thing you want to take away was, okay, but why? What did the winning agency do? What did they do in their presentation and their ideas and their campaign and their research that set them apart? And that's the idea is you want to learn from that. And typically they won't give that to you right away. They'll just say, oh, thanks for participating, but you know, you didn't get it. So I always pushed for just, well, can we hop on a phone call? Just want to better understand what was the point of difference. So it's not asking what didn't we do. It's asking what did the winning agency do that just set them apart? And there's always an answer to that question. There's always an answer because there is something they did that set them apart, right? And so I always wanted to find out because then we want to apply that to the next campaign or the next opportunity we have to develop a campaign. And so you always want to learn that because if, if, if all you learned was it was close and you finished second, you didn't really actually learn anything from it. So you need to learn and then apply the lesson. Absolutely. And to, if it's an RFP request for proposal, often if you're the one receiving multiple RFPs, you do have some sort of an analysis. So there will be a reason. They can point to at least one, two, three things because they'll probably have like a grid comparing you all. And Oh, absolutely. They've, I've, I've walked into an RFP and I've seen the scoring system, literally like a, a scoring sheet that each of them had where they were marking things. So as I'm setting up, I'm looking and I'm seeing right, right on the table, right where they're sitting, a score sheet for every agency. You know, Not that I saw the scores, but I could see how they were evaluating you know, creativity, research, whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, I'll give you one little nugget, which which stayed with me for more than 20 years. And it was an important one. Early in my career, when I was very young, I had the opportunity to join the then leaders of the agency to go present to a um, potential client, along with, you know, a whole bunch of other agencies. And um, so this is, we'll say, early 1994-95. And the focus at that time was, you know, let's come up with the big idea. We get to the presentation and the uh, the head on the other side, I don't know who calls the CEO or CMO, but basically just first question was, you know, so did you try our product? Um, and that's one thing, at least I, as a young executive at the time, didn't even think about, didn't consider, didn't know. And they pretty much said, well, you know, no need to present. You didn't try our product. 
And I, from that moment on, that became a major focus of every RFP I ever developed. Um, so whether it was a fast food brand, we would spend three weeks in the fast food restaurant, many of them sitting there, ordering the product, trying the product, speaking to the employees, speaking to customers. Um, if it was an automotive brand, test driving the brand, getting in the car, going in the showroom, speaking to the sales folks. That was an incredible lesson learned early on, which was great because then from then on, we always tried, we did more than try the product. We lived the product. We immersed ourselves in the product. We immersed ourselves in those who sold the product and we immersed ourselves in the customers who were, you know, purchased the product. And that became a huge piece of succeeding in these RFPs was really trying, attempting to understand the product or the brand better than the brand marketers do, which you can't because they live it day to day and they've been living it. But in three weeks, you can do as much as you can to get close to that and share, share things that you would net that you can't even find, you know, through a Google search, share things that you learn from a, you know, a person who's at the counter at a fast food restaurant who works there, lingo, jargon, you know, just things that when you walk in and start sharing that, like, wow, how'd you, how'd you know that? Well, we, 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 you know, we, we sat at 20 of your locations over the last three weeks, you know? So that was a great lesson learned early in my career that then uh, I just applied to every RFP we ever had as far as truly immersing ourselves into the product. Walking the walk, so to speak, actually knowing that is such a good piece of advice, not just yeah. for marketers, but yeah. for everyone, because I can imagine when they asked, did you try it? You're like, oh, because um, that seems like the most fundamental thing, but it's not because you're coming yeah. at it from this top tier, we're going to market this and that, not coming from grassroots consumer user. What is the experience with the product? Yeah. yeah. So it was a great lesson learned that again, uh, just that we then applied it and it led to success. And I know I keep saying the product and what I mean by that, yeah, the product, the brand, right? It's the brand, the brand. like immersing yeah. yourself in this brand and all aspects of that brand from if it has a physical location, if it has a physical product or it's got a service or whatever it might be to the customers and why do these customers choose this brand over other brands, all those things. Um, because ultimately, if you can do that, even if, I, I hate to use this term, the big idea, but even if the big idea is a little bit off, um, what they're going to see value in is the research, the immersion, the understanding of the brand uh, and together if you're selected with the client together, you'll create, you know, the campaigns. Um, but it really shows a, a commitment to the, to understanding their brand. Yes. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> you had me thinking even, I was like, how, how could this be applicable to other areas? Even with the podcast, every time I have a guest, I know the guest, but then I, I deep dive and I find out something else. And sometimes you'll get, Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've done that because people are very complex, but we don't always see the whole part of it so it's cool for me to deep dive and understand like for you oh yes you're an author of this gen z book i know from knowing you that you're a professor and i know how you teach so suddenly it can color it all back in yep. and i'll pivot here but yeah that's thank you for, for all that insight on that area now the podcast came from this inception of this idea in new zealand and australia there's a soul a social phenomenon so to speak called tall poppy syndrome and it's essentially where you know poppy of fields we're all the same when one grows above we cut it down it's like oh okay come back down let's settle it's the sense of humility humbleness 
it's more internal than I think external we're like oh I don't want to I don't want to do too well like I don't want to seem like I'm bragging and I think my experience in the U.S. has showed it's actually advocating and it allows other people to have conversations and this essentially is me asking you about your experience and now hopefully those listening and even me are like oh cool I learned something because I asked him I had this conversation that's the long-winded way of tall poppy syndrome it's essentially cutting ourselves and others down when we get to ahead of ourselves and for you and all your experience especially with gen z i'm wondering what do you think generations i.e boomers or millennials why do they judge and criticize other generations that's kind of like another example of the tall poppy is you'll get boomers going oh these gen z's are always on their phone they're this and that like (laughs) Why do you think we do that cross-generational? Well, I love that question because I just uh, I was immersed in, in in this topic, but I did research tall poppy syndrome because I wasn't familiar with it. So when you initially reached out to me, I made sure I, I researched it because I, I wanted to better understand what it was because it wasn't something, at least in this country, that I was that familiar with. So I appreciate that. Uh, I just finished an immersion in the, the unprecedented multi-generational workplace that we have now. So as you know, you could work at a company organization, big or small, where you have young Gen Zers, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, who've just joined, millennials who have been there for a, a, obviously a little bit longer, um, Gen Xers, me, you know, mid-50s, late-50s, and then boomers, potentially, right, 70-plus years old. Well, that's a really interesting mix in one office, in one, even on one team. And what I like to say, which I think ties into your theme, is Each and every one of those generations brings great value to the organization. Um, Yes, there may be, as you said, a little bit of, uh, uh, you know, uh, shooting down this generation or criticizing this generation, right? So typically, uh, an older generation might say, boy, they're always on their phone. Uh, They're entitled. They're lazy. They they have a short attention span. You know, they, they, they they don't focus enough, right? And maybe a younger generation will say something about an older one. Well, boy. You're, you're, you're antiquated in your ways. You're kind of just do the same old, same old, you know, you're not shifting it up enough or being innovative. But, so yes, I agree. I think all that happens. But I do believe each generation brings great value to not just the workplace, but we'll use it in the workplace for now. So what do I mean by that? You know, boomers and Xers have more experience than anyone else in the workplace. They've got more than millennials and the Gen Zers. So they have years of experience, similar to the things that we've just talked about here, lessons learned and things like that. So they've got years of that. They've got years of lessons learned. They have years of failures. They have years of successes. They also have tremendous networks that they've built over years of, you know, collaborating with you and I, you know, but collaborating, you know, hundreds, if not thousands, that they can tap into those networks that they've built for 25, 30, 35, 40 years. So there's value in all of that. Millennials are in a really interesting place, and and I didn't I had some eye opening light bulb as I said earlier um, moments uh, regarding millennials a few weeks ago when I got the chance to just informally catch up with some millennials uh, who I've worked with in the past who I know, and what's interesting about millennials right now is they are this what I call this all important bridge between the younger generation Gen Z and the leaders who they report to Xers and Boomers. And if this bridge collapses, that's not a good thing because that company is just not going to be able to thrive and survive. It really won't. And so millennials are feeling that pressure, though. You know, again, they've been in the workplace longer than Gen Zers. In fact, some millennials have been there, you know, going on, you know, 
15 or so years. And so they evolve through the ranks. They may now be even in vice president roles or director roles or whatever. But they're managing up and down, which is a very challenging thing to do. They're reporting to the ex or boomer boss. And uh, that's challenging on its own. But then they've been basically empowered to lead, train, mentor the young Gen Zer. And so they're going both ways with that. And that's a challenge. And so they're feeling that pressure. Um, but they're also in a really powerful position because, again, they're that important conduit that bridges the generations. Um, and so it's important that, you know, the leaders, if they're Xers or Boomers, recognize the tremendous role millennials are playing. And then Gen Zers, you know, they don't have 20, 30, 35 years of experience. They don't have networks of thousands and thousands of people who they've built long-term relationships. They don't have a lot of lessons learned and a lot of uh, successful case studies. They just don't. They haven't been around long enough. But what they do have is credible entrepreneurial spirit, incredible innovation, uh, tech savviness, um, uh, you know, fluency in social media. And, and so all of those things bring value to an organization as well, to your point, you know? So it's, uh, what I like to do is, uh, and I think ties into the theme of the show, I look, like to look at the positives and look at those positives and see how can we all leverage these values, these positives for the greater good of the group, the greater good of the, the company, the greater good of the community or whatever it might be, because each and every one of us does bring values as opposed to, uh, you know, criticizing someone for something they perhaps don't bring to the party. Yes. Yes, that is the tone. That is the uh, tone of the podcast, the tone of what I'm trying to send, send out to other people. Um, I have two more questions. One's a little fun. One's to wrap up kind of the Gen Z conversation here. I found that really interesting what you said about the millennials being this, this tie. And yeah. even in my experience in the workforce of, yeah, actually who I report to and who they report to is it's a generational difference. Right. So our communication styles are also very different because I'm very comfortable going straight to, I think Gen Z's are more comfortable not going necessarily in like the hierarchy. Mm. We just, I'm like, why? That's not effective. Yeah. Let me, I can just talk to that person. It's so that's different communication styles, even within one team. But my question is, what impact do you think Gen Z will have on the following generation because of all the tech savviness, all of the different things we bring? Can you, this is a prediction on March 28, 2023, <laughs> what do you think Gen Z's impact will be on the following generation? I really do think Gen Z and Gen Alpha. So Gen Alpha right now is age zero to about age 10. So I really do think they'll be very almost kindred spirits. And what I mean by that is, you know, both generations have been brought up on social media, digital media, not traditional media. Both generations, we can go back to that quote, learned how to swipe before they wipe, right? You know, so they have a lot of similarities, a lot of commonalities. I think Gen Alpha, as we said earlier, will be even more advanced technology-wise, will be even more advanced, you know, social media, digital media-wise and all those. But I think they're going to share that kind of common bond that, um, you know, when we look at millennials, millennials, you know, yeah, a little bit of social media, but they were really raised on traditional media. Um, you know, they did usher in some tech innovations, but Gen Z really pushed that forward with so many different ones. So I actually think they're going to be very compatible, very uh, closely um, connected. 
there's going to be a mentorship, I really believe, relationship. There's going to be a lot of commonalities and similarities as far as, again, the channels they consume and the channels they use. Uh, I think uh, Gen Alpha, even more so, which is hard for me to say now, but I, I do believe it, will be even more entrepreneurial, even though I think Gen Z is the most entrepreneurial at this point. So I actually think it's going to be, um, you know, very connect, closely connected, close with collaboration. I don't think it's going to be a disconnect whatsoever because I, I think they they are kind of, you know, of the same mindset, the same thought process, the same uh, embracing of technology and things like that. So I think they're going to be um, almost hand in hand working very closely together. Time will tell. I, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Let's call me back in about 11, 12 years. <laughs> See if that's true. We'll pull this from the archives. That is yeah. the good thing. There are archives everywhere which can work in our favor yeah. or not. Um, even conversations I have like with my parents, they go, oh, I'm so glad we didn't have all these things. Yeah. Documenting. Whereas I think everyone is a little bit more brand conscious, even if people aren't marketers, everyone has to be because... Yeah. You, if you're on social media you have some sort of brand whether Absolutely. or not you want to so we are more aware of that now the last question I didn't tell you this one I uh -oh. just do it oh, <laughs> I'm just, ready for it I just like to wrap up and kind of ground us back together and remind people of how we're all complicated and sometimes we like to do little fun games if you had to pick one meal for the rest of your life breakfast lunch and dinner what is it going to be well <laughs> <laughs> I was not ready for this question. Um, we have a saying here at my home, uh, or I have a saying, my wife and I have a saying uh, that comes from um, one of our favorite songs, but it's uh, our saying is home is our favorite restaurant, meaning she's such an incredible cook that even though we go out to eat, the best meals are served right here. Um, so I say this like daily, almost daily. So whether it's, I know this may strange, sound strange, but her homemade, I can't eat meatloaf anywhere but home. It's that delicious. Her homemade lasagna is that delicious. Uh, just about every meal she makes, I really can't eat it outside. So for me, it's it's all these home cooked meals. And again, right away, you know, again, meatloaf comes to mind because I could probably eat, eat that meatloaf every single day of the week. Um, but it's the meals that are made here at home that she makes with her hands and with her imagination and all that. Um, it's uh, those are my favorite. So maybe not one in particular, although I've mentioned a couple, but it's all of those home cooked meals that uh, she has. A, and by the way, she has a passion for that. So it's not something she, you know, just forces herself to do. She loves to do it and she takes over the whole kitchen and then she shares all that on social media too. So every, not night, but every time she does that, like Sunday was a huge uh, feast of um, shrimp and scallops and pasta. She shared all that on social media and the response on social media was like, wow, you know, can I come over? So <laughs> I love that home is the best restaurant, your favorite yes. restaurant. Yeah. Well, by the way, gotta get, we got to give credit. So there's a country singer, I don't know if you know, but Walker Hayes, uh, based on Nashville. So one of his hit songs from a few years ago, he's, it's a song to his wife and it's about his wife. Then uh, home is her favorite restaurant is the, is the, is the uh, lyric. We need to check that out. And <laughs> Also, I would like to, you to ask, you have a lot of books out at the moment. Essentially, can you just share where people can find you if they want to deep dive on Gen Z, if they want to look into like your career? How can people find you? Yeah, no, thank you. Yeah, you mentioned earlier, but I'll, I'll do a plug anyway. So this is my latest book, ZEO. Um, and it's all about, as you said, the new generation of leaders, Gen Z. 
So all these books are on Amazon. So that's a nice, easy way to find me, you know, through my name, Mark Beal. And when you type Mark Beal or Mark Beal books, whatever, you know, all my books will show up. Uh, four of them are focused on Gen Z, ZEO, Gen Z Graduates to Adulthood, Decoding Gen Z and Engaging Gen Z. But my first two books were inspired, you know, by students like you. And the fir very first book in 2017 is titled 101 Lessons I Never Taught You in College. And to this, and I probably have to do an updated version of that, especially now that we're in a Zoom world and things. But to this day, I still get the same questions from today's students. You know, how do I write my resume? How do I write a cover letter? How do I um, prepare for a job interview? How do I conduct an interview on Zoom versus in person? Do I send a thank you note after the interview? What do I wear to the interview? Uh, same exact questions from 2016 and 2017 when I wrote the book, which is 101 of these one-page lessons on every one of those topics. Um, so I have been thinking lately that I probably should do like a 2024, 2025 version of that um, because it's still very useful. It's still applicable. It's still relevant, even though maybe platforms have changed. Like now we have Zoom or maybe we didn't have Zoom in 2017. Um, the way you go about the approach you take is is similar. We just you know have to maybe change a little bit for the various platforms. So um, yeah, so the books are great. And again, they're all on Amazon. And then uh, I do have a website, which is just kind of a, a fun place where articles and speeches are there. And it's just simply markbealspeaks.com. And on there are the books and, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff. I encourage everyone to go check it out, even if you just want to get a little bit up to date with what's happening with Gen Zs. I have learned so much from speaking with you today, and I already knew a lot of it. I'm very curious what's going to evolve to your point. Gen Z is just getting started, really, in yep. the in the workforce. But thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me today. And I'm really excited to hear people's responses to this conversation. I think people have a lot of questions about Gen Z in general. And thank you so much. Oh, great. Thank you. I was so excited just to be invited. So this is great. And I'm glad that you're now helping me take my brand to other parts of the world where I've never been. So that's great too, but I love what you're doing. Uh, I love your passion for this and for all your other passions. So uh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening to Tall Poppy Talk. We'll see you next time. Feel free to check us out on socials, YouTube, and the website. Thanks for today's guest. Take care.